Give him a big hand. Yeah, give him a big hand. Thank you, sir. When I minister at the nursing home, I never get a hand. I usually get a see ya. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's an honor to be able to do this tonight. And uh, when Pastor asked me to do this part, spiritual identity, a couple of weeks ago, man, I do this all the time. Uh, in, the, in the nursing homes, most of the people that I minister to are of an older generation. And a lot of them know a lot about religion, but they really don't have that intimate relationship with the Lord. And so I spend a lot of time drilling it into them about how they're one with the Lord and, and how that they can have an intimate relationship with, with Jesus. I used to hear that growing up as a kid, and I couldn't figure that out. How do you have an intimate relationship with somebody you can't see? And, you know, something happened 2,000 years ago. And it wasn't until I understood that when you got into the Word and you meditated the Word, God and His Word are one, and you began to have a relationship with the Lord. And in the midst of that, I never dreamed in my lifetime, and I'm still amazed that I can actually at times, you know, in the process of meditation, the Lord will speak to you in your hearts. You'll hear his voice inside, not necessarily with your physical ears, but he'll speak to you inside, and, and man, revelation knowledge will come. And you can't put, really put a price on revelation knowledge because it gets right into your heart, and once you get it in here, it's much better than having it up here. And so I try to get the people uh, at the nursing homes to understand their spiritual identity. And, to, and tonight what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to Matthew 11, 11, And that's where my, my scripture is going to come from. And you know, I'm never, I, I'm always amazed, amazed at the, the things that Jesus said and the things that Paul said. They made some astonishing and radical statements and, one, and this, this particular verse of Scripture, 1111, is, is, a, is, a, is a something that Jesus said that, you know what, it was so radical to the time that, that he lived in. Because you understand, he lived in, in that time when I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of a man the things that God had prepared for those that love him. Because the rest of that Scripture had not yet been fulfilled by being the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So when, when Jesus made this statement, he was making it to the Jews, and he was making it to religious leaders, and everybody that they saw in the Jewish religion, in their worship of God, I mean, boy, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these were premier people, Moses. And so when these, they were of that particular generation. And I'm going to kind of set this up in, in, in Matthew 11, 11, because you really, you have to go back to the first of that and find out that John the Baptist had been in prison and he was waiting to have his head chopped off, you know, and he's in there and this is the guy who had pointed out Jesus and there he is in the, in the dungeon waiting to have his head chopped off and he started to second guess what his calling had been. And so he sent his disciples to Jesus and he said, uh, you know, they said, well, are you, the, are you the one we're supposed to be looking for, or is there another? Did we miss this? And, and Jesus, this is a whole message in itself, and I don't have time to go here. But, you know, Jesus could have just said, well, go back and tell him, yeah, man, he's right on target. I'm the man. But he didn't do that. He sent him, he, he said, go tell him the lame are walking, the blind are seen, the dead are raised, the lepers are cleansed. In other words, Go and 
Take him back to the more sure word of prophecy. The word that never changes and is forever settled in heaven. Let him, let him hear those words and he will know that he's on target. And so when they left, Jesus turned to the crowd. And all of these people now were Jews. And they came out to hear what he had to say. Some of them believed that he was the Messiah. Others did not believe so. And so he turns to them and he says, now what would you come out here for? You come out here to see a, a, a reed shaken by the wind. In other words, you come out here to just see a guy who's just kind of feeble, you know, and kind of fumbling around, maybe just another preacher. <laughs> you come out to see that guy. Did you come out to see somebody who's dressed up in a suit and a tie? I'm paraphrasing. You see somebody that come out there, he said, you ain't going to find anybody like that. You know, God doesn't, he, he uses the foolish things of the world to, profound, to, to, uh, uh, to, to, to mess up the, the wise, you know. And so he says, what would you come out here to see? He said, you come out to see a prophet? And when he said that, he promoted John. And he said, you know what? Yeah. And then he said, he's more than a prophet. And he promoted him again. He said, yeah, and he's a messenger. And he promoted him again. And in understanding that, as he began to do that, you know, the, the ones listening to him, they, they, they thought that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all of these people, they thought they were at the top. And Jesus promoted John the Baptist, a guy that ran around eating locusts and, 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 and wild honey and wearing camel hair, living out in the desert all of his life. I mean, boy, he couldn't, he couldn't be the best-smelling and best-looking guy in the planet. And he just promoted him over all of these guys. But the next thing he says is absolutely radical. And if you would, pull that up on there. He said, Verily I say unto you, among those born unto women, and that took care of everybody from Adam and Eve's folks all the way up to this point, among all of those born to women, that took in Solomon, that took in Moses, that took in Elijah, that took in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it took in all of these people, among all of those born unto women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. There had to be religious people standing out there going, I'm out of here. <laughs> this guy's a kook. There's no way. There had to be people, you know, the, the religious leaders hated him. And, you know, here you are. You're promoting this guy above everybody else. You know, this was serious stuff in those days. I mean, this is why they tried to kill Jesus. Because, you know, they, they weren't looking for a Messiah that looked like him. They weren't looking for someone like John the Baptist. They were looking for a, a lot of them were looking for a military leader who was going to come in there and deliver them from all of their enemies as prophesied and spoken of back to Abraham, in the Abrahamic covenant and even prophesied by John's dad when he was born. One of the things that he would do would deliver them from all their enemies. But look at what he says here. Notwithstanding. In other words, we'd say it like this. Don't push the sin button yet. <laughs> Hold the phone. Don't, don't print a copy out yet. Look at what he says. He says, Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, John the Baptist. I mean, you know, if you look at that first point, put the first point up there. If John is the greater, as Jesus said, who are the least? Who's the least in the kingdom of heaven? Let me tell you who the least in the kingdom of heaven is. That's like if Pastor Marvin is up here and some guy walks in off the street and I mean he's got all this baggage 
He doesn't know the Bible from Reader's Digest. He comes in here and he doesn't, you know, he can't, he don't know the difference between revelation and revolution. He can't even find Genesis in the Bible. I mean, he don't even know what the front and the back is. This guy walks in, he might still, he might be on drugs, he might be drunk. He just comes off the street and he hears the word and he decides, you know what? I just believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth that he's my Lord. I'll accept that deal any day of the week. He took all of my sins, you bet. I'll take that. That guy is a novice. And Jesus said that guy is greater. Now look, he put John the Baptist on the highest pinnacle. When he called him a messenger back there, he put him up in the angelic realm. The angels hearken to the voice of God and, and they bring messages. You know, John, here he pointed out Jesus. There's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And now Jesus says, the guy that comes in here and receives, he's the least in the kingdom of heaven. He ain't even been here 15 minutes and he's greater than John the Baptist. A while back, a good while back, while well, I was meditating that and I used to have trouble with that and I thought, you know, I just... I just don't know. I don't know how in the world that could be. I mean, this guy, the least in the kingdom of heaven, I mean, you know, he's just a guy that comes to church. He doesn't know much about the Bible at all, and he's greater than John the Baptist. And I remember meditating that, and I thought, okay, he's greater because he's going to heaven. <laughs> and the Lord said, no. Oh, boy, here we go. Ah, he's greater because, well, you know, he's, uh, he's in the new covenant. The Lord said, no. And I thought, you know, what? what is it? And I remember I drifted off to sleep. And then I woke up, and the instant I woke up, I heard these words, by birth. He's greater by birth. And I thought, birth, and that's on point, uh, that's uh, point, yeah, <laughs> point four, yeah. That's, now look at this, look at this scripture. When, I, when he spoke that to me, Look at First uh, John 3 and 9. He says, whosoever, did that leave anybody out? No. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And boy, when I heard that, all of these scriptures started coming to me. And I thought, you know what, God? John the Baptist was not born again. John the Baptist was an old covenant man. He was still under the covenant of the law. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered the heart of a man the things that God had prepared for those that love him. That's where John was. I mean, he pointed out he was a prophet. He was a messenger. He, he pointed out Jesus, but he was not privileged to know but God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. See, He wasn't privileged to that. You know, we're sitting on this side of the cross. And we are so blessed to know. We're so blessed to have the new covenant and to look continually, as James said, to look continually into the new covenant and see who we are in Christ. To see our identity in Christ. You know, uh, for years, I didn't know why it was so important to study the Word. And when the Lord began to reveal to me that in it was the, the relationship that I was looking for, but also in it was so that I could see how He sees me. 
every moment of my life. Look at the next scripture, Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are His workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You know, I used this illustration before, and the Lord showed me this. He said, you know, you take one of these guys that did all of the famous paintings, and you know, they, 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 they paint these things for, for sometimes for weeks and months and years on end, and then they come to a point where they step back, you know, and they look at it and they say, oh man, that's perfect. I'm not going to put one more stroke on it or I'll mess it up. Do you realize that when God created you in Christ, He did a perfect work. He created you and then He stepped back and said, man, this is awesome. And this is how I see you every moment of your life. Look at number five. He said, your spiritual identity is forever established in Christ. You know, I like the word forever. I mean, forever, you know, you just, through the eternity of eternities is your identity established in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Let me tell you something. Did you know that most Christians, and I was one of them for a lot of years, most Christians don't realize that Jesus as a man has a spirit. Did you ever, think, did you ever stop to think that he as a man has a spirit? Did you ever stop to think that he is still a man? Just because he went to heaven, he's still a man. He still has a spirit. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And Ephesians chapter 1 says, Paul says that we're made to sit with him. I guess so, because we are one with him. His spirit was infused with our spirit. Think about it. And sometimes we think, well, you know, Jesus, you still around? Have you left? <laughs> Your spirit would have to leave if he left. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. This is your identity. This is forever established. I'm one with you. I'm one with you. I'm one with your being. You have your life, your movement, and your being in him. Boy, you can sit around and meditate that and let the Holy Spirit minister that to you. And I guarantee you, if you're feeling a little bit down, feeling a little bit blue, feeling like things aren't going so well, I guarantee you, you'll start coming up. You'll start moving up. You remember David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. After everything went wrong, it looked like he'd lost everything. Sometimes in this life, because life can get so difficult sometimes. You know, the flesh will want to jump up and say, well, it's all over, it's done, I'm cooked. <laughs> I'm out of here, take me, Lord. And <laughs> if you'll encourage yourself with these scriptures... If you'll put your eyes, if you'll look continually here, if you'll go here as much as you go and watch it, you know, as the stomach turns on TV, if you'll, go, if you'll go in here and spend some time in here and let the Lord minister this oneness with Him. Actually, did you know a marriage for the right reason between two people, a man and a woman, is a picture of this oneness? This is, this is really, a, a marriage is a picture. But, you know, when, when, when two people stand up and get, they get married and they say, you know, what's mine, yours, and vice versa, you know, until death do us part, all those things they say, it is a picture. It is it's something that's showing in action, even in your life. It's a picture of what's going on on the inside of you in that oneness with Jesus. 
Boy, that is so awesome to put into your heart. Now look at number six there. God sees us the same way He sees Jesus. I want to tell you something. It took a lot of years because I was taught that, you know, God looks more at the flesh than He does at the Spirit. We didn't even know the difference between our spirit and our soul. We thought spirit and soul was one and the same thing. Brothers and sisters, it's not. It's not. You've got to understand that your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. It's your personality. And, and I'm telling you right now, that goes up and down at times, doesn't it? I mean, your emotions up and down at different times. Your body is what it is, but your spirit is your being. It's the part of you that whenever you leave this earth will either go to be with the Lord or go away from the Lord to a place called hell and then eventually to a lake of fire throughout eternity. But Jesus, God sees you the same way He sees Jesus every moment. If you know this, I guarantee you, if you'll just quote this out of your mouth, Satan will run from you. Because you understand now he knows, wait a minute, this guy knows something. He knows a way. He, I can't get to him anymore. I, can't, I can mess with him with his mind, with his emotions, but he understands that's just what it is. It's purchased but not yet redeemed. His body's purchased but not yet redeemed. But his spirit is 100% wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. <laughs> 100% wall-to-wall, treetop tall with God. Isn't that awesome? That's wonderful. And look at what he says. He says he sees us the same way he knows us perfectly. Oh, I like that. You know, in this world, you cannot think about many things that are perfect, right? You know, in the flesh, in, this, in the world we live in, the word perfect just does not fit. I mean, we use it sometimes, but if you put a microscope to it, if you really got down and looked at it, there would be a little bit of a flaw in a molecule. But in Christ you and I are perfect. You know how I know that? Because the Scripture says, oh, Hebrews 10 and 14. It says a perfect sacrifice, talking about the sacrifice that Jesus made. He didn't make a 99 percenter, and you have to make up the rest. A perfect sacrifice that hath, that means it's been done, perfected us forever. Forever perfect in Christ. If you know this identity... When, when Satan comes to you and he says, you just no good, aren't you? Well, in my flesh it ain't too good, but in my spirit I'm perfect. Amen. What do you do with a guy like that? Well, nobody really loves you or cares about you. Don't matter. God loves me perfectly. What do you do with a guy like that? You know, John the Baptist, I mean, not John the Baptist, the other John. <laughs> That John, you know, they tried to boil him in oil. They tried to kill him. Finally, they exiled him because he knew too much. They couldn't do anything with him. They couldn't kill him. They couldn't offend him. Couldn't do nothing. So they just put him on an island by himself. And boy, that did a lot of good, didn't it? Then he broke the revelation by the Spirit of God. Listen, if you know this, if you understand, if you understand that a perfect sacrifice not the one you made. Stop trying to make it. This is from the Lord. Stop trying to sacrifice. Stop trying to do things to get God to accept you. Stop trying to think that, you know, Lord, if I just do this better, if I just do that better, maybe you'll hear my prayers. Maybe you'll accept. Maybe you'll do something for me. 
stop, stop, stop sacrificing. It was a perfect sacrifice. Recognize that. That's from the Lord for you. Now look here. Herein, look at 1 John 4. He says, herein is our love made perfect. Whose love's made perfect? Yours. Herein where? In this oneness. Well, I just don't know if i got enough love. You have perfect love. See, now that you know you got it, you can identify with it. And you can say, Lord, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to love this person. You know what? They may not be too lovely, but I'm just going to love them. That's walking in the Spirit. That's walking in this oneness. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You know, when I was growing up in the church that I grew up in, we had no boldness. <laughs> we were scared most of the time. Oh, Lord. We had, we had, we had revivals. They brought, in, they brought in their best in the revivals. And boy, they would paint a picture of hell. I mean, we had, I'll tell you what rattled me. Is there, I thought I was doing pretty good, you know, there as a teenager, a young adult. And then we had the pinnacles in the church, been in, you know, been Christians for years. And when the preacher made the altar call, when those people went down, I knew I was cooked. Man, you know, if those people, did they go down there to get saved again or what? You know, I, those are holy people. Man, I had no boldness. My boldness was like, you know what, I, I just, I want to get out of here. You know, I, I, I've, I've confessed everything I know to confess, do everything I know to do, and I still feel condemned and down and out, and there ain't no boldness to me. The righteous are as bold as a lion. I was as bold as a mouse, boy. Wasn't there. It wasn't there. You know why? Because I didn't have the identity that I needed. I didn't know this. None of the people that we had preached had these things in their hearts. They didn't understand the difference between your spirit and your soul. Man, everything was about the flesh. Look at this. He said, Here in our love is perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. This is so awesome. You need to just put, you need to print this somewhere where you can look at it all the time. Because as he is, so are we in what world? In heaven? Yeah. In this world? Yes. As Jesus is. Man, sit and meditate that for a while. Jesus sick? No. Is he poor? No. I'm always amazed. This is amazing to me because I used to be in that crowd. Boy, you could not in the denomination I grew up in. You know, all of our pastors and our evangelists, they wore shiny suits, but they weren't shiny from being new. They were shiny from being wore out. Because we felt like it was like this vow of poverty. Preachers weren't supposed to have nothing. I mean, they drove old wore-out cars. and I mean, man, they just, they just didn't have nothing. And then you have people, even today, I hear them, well, there's one of those prosperity preachers. Yeah, Jesus was. I mean, he had a guy following him around that was a treasurer. Huh? You, you can't be poor and have no treasurer. I mean, you're paying a guy for nothing if you're poor to be your treasurer. Look at this. As he is, if you can identify. This is your identity we're talking about here. 
Now, here's something the Lord said. This is a P.S. You know what a P.S. is on a letter? Anybody remember writing letters? <laughs> you know, when they taught me how to write a letter, I always read the, the letters that my mom wrote to her mom, and she always put a P.S. on there. I thought, like, why don't you just put it that what you're going to say in the rest of the letter? What you need the P.S. for? The P.S. is a postscript. It's like kind of an afterthought. And so when I wrote letters, I thought, well, i got to put a P.S. in there. What? What? You know, I done said everything. I just, P.S., I ain't got nothing to say. <laughs> oh, hey, listen to me. Listen to me. Here's a P.S. This is what the Lord spoke to me. And this is something you've got to understand. Listen, this, is, this goes right into spiritual reality. And this is getting down to the, where the rubber meets the road. The Lord said, if you don't enforce your identity, the enemy won't respect your identity. Let me, let me tell you something. There was, there, was a, there was a priest over there in the book of Acts, about long chap, chapter 19. He had seven sons. And those seven sons, and, the, and they, they were getting where they were casting out devils. And, and these boys, went up, they, they were going to go up there and cast a devil out of a guy. And this guy said, the devil in him said, the demon. He said, I know Jesus. And I know Paul. I don't know you. And then the guy jumped on all of them and beat them up. See, Jesus knew his identity. Paul knew his identity because everything we've been reading, uh, writing right here, most of it he wrote. If you don't enforce this identity, Satan will not respect your identity. The demons won't, and here's what the Lord added to this kind of earth-shaking, but the mountains, the trials, the circumstances of your life won't respect it either. They have a voice. And I guarantee you when times get really hard, you know what the voice will say? You ain't going to make it. Ain't going to work. Not going to happen. You have to condemn that tongue. Remember that? Every tongue that rises in judgment against you, you sh thou shalt condemn it. This is your heritage, and your righteousness is of me. Praise God. I hope, you know, in this identity, you have to look at it continually. You have to, you have to, you have to put it in your heart. You have to meditate it. Your, your revelation can't be, uh, you can't live off of my revelation. I heard a guy say that one time in a big meeting. And I looked and I thought, well, I, I hadn't intended to to begin with, but I don't even know how that would work. And I realized in later years, you know what? What he was saying was, you can't live off of what's in my heart. You have to get that revelation in your heart also. Praise God. I'm glad we can identify with Jesus, aren't you? Praise the Lord for that. In the moment, how much time we got left? About three minutes? All right. Can I, can I do something here really quick? I want to show you something in this identity right here. And, uh, you know, really this has to do, and, and, and the only reason I'm going to do this is the Lord prompts me to do it. And I'm not going to take a lot of time, so you all work with me here on this. You know, Jesus said this in his identity, in knowing who he was. He said, you know, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. 
And you know something? In this oneness, now you understand that everything Jesus accomplished, everything that is His victory is our victory. And if you go back over into the book of Deuteronomy, most faith, believe, most faith people know the book of Deuteronomy, and especially chapter 28, right? They know that. And they try to identify with it, but they don't identify the right way. They try to do it from out here and not in oneness. Now, I want to show you something real special about this. And if you already know this, that's great. In the mouth of two, two or three witnesses, let everything be established. So it's getting established in your heart. Jesus made the statement. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets like a curtain rod with all of these things hanging on those two commandments. When Jesus, now look, this is a part of your oneness. When Jesus stepped up and He fulfilled the law and the prophets, He not only fulfilled them in action, He felt, fulfilled them in proper motivation and intent of His heart. He loved God with all of His heart, mind, soul, and strength, and His neighbor as Himself. And He acted through and went through all of the law and satisfied every jot and tittle, every bit of the law He satisfied. In your oneness. This is something I want you to see right here. Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is a postscript, but the Lord wants you to hear this. Remember, Moses came before the people. He said, on this day, choose life or death, blessing or cursing. In case you didn't get it, choose life. <laughs> That's the answer to that one. Most people take Deuteronomy chapter 28 and they read it as it is written. They're, they're, they're still on the eye hath not seen nor ear heard. They're not one with Jesus. When you read this, and I, and I challenge you to do this, this is, a, this is being one with Christ. This is how you read it. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all His commandments which I command you this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon thee, overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. But now here's how you read it. He said, And it came to pass that Jesus hearkened diligently unto the voice of the Lord his God, and he observed, and he did all the commandments that were commanded of him that day. And, and the Lord God set Jesus on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings came upon Jesus and overtook Jesus because he hearkened unto the voice of the Lord his God. What does that mean to you? In that oneness, that blessedness is yours. That's your inheritance. It's not something you're trying to get. It's inside of you. It's in that perfection within you. So now that you know you have it, you can stop trying to get it. Oh, God, bless me. He already has. Oh, God, help me out financially. He already has. He commanded the blessing on your storehouse. Most Christians don't understand in this identity, you have to enforce it. And this is one way of enforcing it right here. This is one way of enforcing it in your life. Thank you very much. God bless you.